as we begin week two of our five-week series entitled A Summer of Grace, uh, perhaps it would uh, behoove us to be reminded of what we're actually talking about when we say the word grace. A quick glance at an online dictionary actually reveals no less than 22 definitions. 22 definitions of the word grace. So it's no wonder there's some uh, confusion. Uh, we see beauty of form, a pleasing or attractive quality uh, or endowment is included. Uh, Jackie Onassis was not pictured there, but. In this episode, we saw just a little bit in this clip, uh, Elaine, the character Elaine to the left, openly admitted she didn't have grace, she didn't want grace. In fact, Elaine didn't want to be bothered with any definition of the word, right? She didn't even say grace. But as Christians, we're not just called to say grace. In fact, we're called to be people of godly grace. Of godly grace. We, the church, we've accepted the free gift of salvation in knowing Jesus Christ alone. Ephesians 2.8 God calls us then to extend this, His grace, to those around us as well. That's what we're talking about this morning. Hebrews 12.15, let's jump to that, our text this morning, says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And this morning, I'd like to suggest that seeing to it that those around us obtain God's grace, it's a challenging call for God's people. It's not easy. Let's be honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters. Do we truly have grace for those people in our lives, for others? Or when it comes to our friends, when it comes to our family members, do we not have grace or want grace or even say grace? Because it sounds as though our, our text this morning isn't just telling us, hey, go look good before other people, right? With apologies to the would-be employer on this clip from Seinfeld, real grace, godly grace, isn't about fulfilling social expectations. It's not about fulfilling social expectations. According to the book of Hebrews, the way I read this text, the relationships we have with even our weekend buddies, they should be authentic and godly ones, not surface, not convenient ones. We're seeing to it that these individuals obtain the grace of God. You know, if the family Christmas hasn't exactly been a good time for a long time, maybe there's been some family drama, maybe there have been a few estranged relationships, difficult dynamics in the mix, the, the unidentified author of the book of Hebrews isn't saying to us here, you know, it might be a really good idea if you tried really hard this Christmas, put on some airs, act like everything's hunky-dory, see to it that you show up in front of everybody with presents, maybe a big red hat on, Maybe the hat can say, make Christmas great again. I've got maybe six more years of mileage with that joke, okay? We'll see. 
But my point being, the people in our lives, our friends, our family members, no matter how we feel about them, no matter our closeness to them, these relationships aren't just allowances for our lives by God so they can be that daily, weekly, monthly, perennial diversion for us, right? We don't encounter other people in this life just to coexist with them as fellow sinners and hope for the best. We see everybody in heaven, or at least the ones we like. Christians are actually expected to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. To ex- we're expected to actively communicate God's grace to others, to our friends, to our family, to those people we know personally on a regular basis. If you're a Christian, your brother, your neighbor, your coworkers, the guys on the bowling team, your boss, maybe even the male lady, should see the love, the mercy, the grace of God present in your life, in the condition of the relationship that you have with them. Really. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And so grace for your friends and your family and for the people you meet should be top priority once you're a recipient of God's grace, amen? Once you're a Christian, but that's not easy. That's not easy. I'd like to offer a couple of reasons why. Maybe, maybe you'll agree with me on this. Why is it difficult to extend God's grace to some of these individuals at times? The first reason I have out of two has to do with quantity. We might be talking about a lot of people, right? The second has to do with comfortability, as in we might be talking about a lot of people, and some of them know us just a little too well, right? Let me touch on, these, touch on that first difficulty a moment. I know I'm weird, Pin drop just now. But when I hear this text, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, my mind goes to other times in my life in which I've heard something similar. The see to it. Other scenarios in which I've understood I'm responsible somewhat for a group of people. I don't know why. Maybe it's because Luke is sitting right here. But I'm reminded of summer camp. This was planned. At Rock Lake Christian Assembly over here, we have this mode of transportation we call the chariot. And if you're not familiar with the chariot, I'm going to try to explain it. I feel like I'm being graded here on how well I paid attention at summer camp. But the chariot is kind of like this big double covered wagon, and, and it's used to transport campers. Uh, you can sit up to, so, what, several dozen second or third graders. Do you have like a total count for the chariot? Several dozen. We'll go, with, we'll go with that. The way this works, the chariot, you hook it up to the back of someone's vehicle, and at least at the camp sessions I've served as faculty, we've made two stops. We've, we've stopped at uh, the trees in front of the dorms in the back, and we've stopped by the tabernacle up front, back there. If you're serving as, uh, for example, I'll go with what I know, second and third grade camp faculty, which I have uh, the last few years, One of your responsibilities might be to count the campers loading the chariot from time to time because for some reason it's important that you don't leave Johnny at the canteen rollerball table all night. That's generally frowned upon, I've been told. During uh, the faculty meeting, the camp dean might say to you, at loading time, see to it that no one fails to get on the chariot. 
So if you've got 30 boys returning to the dorms from behind the tabernacle area after a long swim, it might be a lot easier to get back up to that chariot and you say, say, you know what? I know I really should take account of the campers and, you know, see who's here before we drive back to the dorms, but I'm just not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that this time. 30 people just feels like too many for me to stop and, and take a head count and see who's here. I know I'm responsible right now as camp faculty to see to it that no one fails to get on the chariot, but I think we're okay with whoever's shown up. This is good enough. I don't think uh, Tim would uh, like me too much for that call. Just guessing. And it sounds ridiculous, right? Uh, you know, I don't actually need to see to it that no one fails to get on the chariot. But yet, as Christians, as people who claim to follow the very words our God has given to us in the Bible, and here are some of them, how often do we hear instructions like the first part of our text this morning and think, well, I don't really need to make sure all my friends and family know about Jesus or see the grace of God working in my life. That's far too many people for me to worry about. I know I'm responsible as a Christian to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I mean, it says right here in Hebrews, but I think I'm okay. I think we're okay with whoever has shown up. This is good enough. I don't want to try the Holy Spirit with that call either. But let's face it. We do this when it comes to extending God's grace, don't we? We, we like our cozy church cliques just as they are. And we prefer our comfortably predictable pew partners just where they sit. And if someone wants to come in the flock and they, they happen to be related to us or we know them a little, that's a bonus. But we're not going to go out of our way to all the people we know to let them know God loves them. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home, but never mind my brother who I'm mad at. Forget my next door neighbor. He's a pothead. I gave up witnessing to him years ago. Never mind those co-workers of mine who think my faith is a waste of time. There are just too many people around me. I think the ones in my circle who know Jesus, that's good enough. It's not going to be an easy or a comfortable job to extend grace to people, many of whom know us. That's not easy. We have a history with these individuals. We have a history. This was my second excuse earlier. On one side or the other, there's bound to be some hurt. There's bound to be some baggage over some past events. But no one is off the hook, my friends, from the responsibility of showing God's love to those they may know uncomfortably well. Praise Jesus. And we can actually look to Jesus directly for encouragement in this matter. If you want to turn in your Bibles briefly with me, we don't have this text on the overhead. But if you have your Bibles handy, open up to the third chapter of Mark. Here in this text, we read about the growing ministry of Jesus. The growing ministry of Jesus. That a crowd so great began following Jesus and his disciples. What does it say in there? Verse 7 to 8 says, This crowd from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and, and Sidon, maybe even Vesterberg. Maybe not quite so early. But, but what a group. What a circle Jesus had around him. I mean, and just think this was just a few days before we invented Twitter, right? 
But word had traveled. Verse 9 goes on to say, And he, Jesus, told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. This is the size of the crowd at this point. And after Jesus proceeds to appoint 12 disciples, in verses 14 through 19, Mark goes on, Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they couldn't even eat. Verse 20, And when his family heard it, when his family heard it, the Bible says they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. One commentator notes that the original Greek text here, which we've translated family, sometimes it's also uh, translated friends or own people, it's literally rendered the beside him ones. The beside him ones. So biblical scholars believe that these individuals who were trying to get a hold of Jesus in the midst of his growing popularity and ministry were indeed Mary and Jesus' brothers. See, as things were taking off for Christ, his family believed that he'd lost his direction, that he'd gone off the deep end. He was out of his head. He needed to turn things around. Quit being such a fanatic, maybe, about this whole ministry thing. We can't know all their individual motives, but obviously the people closest to Jesus, when he was off and running in ministry mode, were also among the same people who were trying to stop him dead in his tracks. How uncomfortable that must have been. And maybe this hits home with us this morning. Maybe we think, well, how does God expect me to be a witness to his glory, to the ones closest to me, when all they've done is discouraged my faith? Maybe they've been very difficult to me in the past. Maybe some of you are coming from a situation where there are some difficult uh, dynamics, family dynamics afoot. Well, no one had it tougher when it came to those family dynamics than Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to size up his home life situation in Mark 3.35. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And Jesus, in saying this, he's putting his relationship with these people in the proper kingdom perspective. But you know, Jesus also goes on to see to it that his family and those closest to him, no matter the number, no matter the circumstances, that they obtain the grace of God in time. We can't judge hearts, but we know Mary was at the crucifixion when the grace of God was poured out for the world, Luke 2.35. We know Mary and the brothers of Jesus were present with the followers in the upper room following Christ's ascension in Acts 1.14. We also know that, that Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, wrote a couple of New Testament books, the former an early influence in the Jerusalem church to boot, Acts 15. Pleasing the Father in these relationships couldn't have been easy for the Son. Couldn't have been easy. He was out of his mind, remember? He was out of his mind. Certainly, the disbelief and the estrangement that Jesus encountered, the Bible says, Mark 6, 4, in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household, we can say, yes, sure, this came from uh, his Jewish blood, but also it came from his own immediate blood. But it didn't hold Jesus back from shedding his blood, from accomplishing his mission on earth. It didn't hold him back. And he kept extending grace. Is it going to hurt to extend grace to our people? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, some people are going to hear talk about God's kingdom coming out of our mouths. And just like for Jesus, they'll think we're out of our minds. 
Is it going to hurt to extend grace to others close to us, maybe besides our family? Certainly, there'll be instances in which we even befriend some people. Maybe we see them come into our tribe for a little while. Maybe we're going to even be blessed by their presence, and maybe our church will even be blessed by their presence. These individuals may even take up trusted positions in the organization. And then the day may come when we have to acknowledge the place and kingdom work they've been given, the resources they've been blessed with, maybe even the friendship we've extended them. It's been betrayed like Judas Iscariot for the proverbial 30 pieces of silver. Some of the people whom we extend our grace, they're going to hurt us. They're going to hurt us. Our friends are going to let us down. They're going to betray us from time to time. But that didn't stop Christ from extending God's grace. And if we're Christ followers, we can't let it stop us either. I'd like to take a little lesson from working church camp. Don't let anyone you know miss the chariot back without you doing all you can to see them on board. Get them on board. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy to be people who have grace, who want grace, who will say grace for our friends and family. But what happens if we fail to do so? What happens if we fail to do so? We're ready for the rest of our text. Hebrews 12, 15 concludes. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then it goes on. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, on surface, this seems fairly easy to understand what we're saying. Uh, we get it if we don't share the grace of God, if we don't share the love of Jesus with the world around us, the world's going to make them bitter. The world's going to turn these individuals bitter. That bitterness is going to destroy their lives. Without Jesus, our friends and family members alike are, are just as hung up over this life as Judas Iscariot. That was really bad, I apologize. But while this is true, bitterness in our relationships can certainly impact our spiritual lives. This isn't all, this isn't all that the author of Hebrews is touching on in our text. Having grace for others, for your friends and family, doesn't just mean attempting to spare them from hopelessness in this life, but for all eternity. Hebrews 12, 15 isn't talking about bitterness itself springing up and causing trouble. What do we get to? The root of bitterness. Don't miss that root of evil, like the love of money is the root of all evil. We always want to shorten that. Don't shorten this either. The root of bitterness. So what does the root of bitterness look like in a person's life? The root of bitterness is a concept from Hebrew culture. No coincidence since the book of Hebrews deals ex uh, exclusively with that, extensively with that, rather. Moses warned the ancient Israelites, to make sure, Deuteronomy 29, 18, there is no root among you that produces bitter poison. When Moses talked about the bitter root, he was essentially warning God's people about what? Idolatry. About idolatry. In Israel's heyday, remember, the gods within the land of Canaan were constantly pulling God's people, pulling the Hebrews away from their covenant with Jehovah God, weren't they? Constantly. And constantly the people were being swayed into idol worship into idol worship time and time again. And this is what happens every time God's people aren't content with spreading his grace. Time and time again, cover to cover, isn't it? The root of bitterness. 
You might remember uh, a terrible Olivia Newton-John song from the 70s called Hopelessly Devoted to You. Sorry, I wasn't a Grease fan or an Olivia Newton-John fan for that matter. Should I duck? I, I figured there was probably an Olivia Newton-John uh, fan segment of the congregation. I was a little feared for that one there. But the wife has that uh, movie somewhere. Did I just say the word feared? Wow, it's preacher lingo. It's, it, it mean, it's like afraid, but it's, it's when you're uh, riffing from a pulpit. Wife has that movie somewhere, and I've heard the soundtrack a few times to Greece, and I, so I'm familiar with this song, you know, hopelessly devoted to you. That's all the singing this time, I promise. From ancient Israel to Vestenburg, Michigan, my friends, God calls us from cover to cover of this book not to miss his grace because we're too busy showing devotion to the things of the world instead of him. God's people are told to be hopelessly devoted to him. Hopelessly devoted. That's quite a theological statement if I ever heard one from Olivia Newton-John. Hopelessly devoted. If you're a person of God's grace and you aren't actively engaged in extending that grace to others, you might want to check the root system of your heart. If you don't find yourself branching out from the Christian vine, John 15, 4, you know who the vine is. Springing up, spreading grace to all those around you. It's quite possible there's something else. Something bitter, poisonous, taking hold not just of you, but maybe of your family, your close relationships, maybe even part of your church. If you're not all about Jesus, if you're not hopelessly devoted to him, you're going to be all about something, right? It goes on, we don't have this up there, but verse 16 of the text from Hebrews goes on, mentions Esau of the Old Testament. You remember Esau? His focus on earthly things was much greater than his focus on the God who made him. He was troubled by that root of bitterness, by that root of bitterness. If you find yourself rooted in anything but Jesus, my friends, you've got to dig that root out. You've got to get it out. You've got to get that root out so you can start spreading his grace. There are Eight billion people on this planet, but God has only placed a precious few around you who don't know his son. And maybe he intends to get to know them through you. So what are you doing to let your friends and your family members know somebody loves them to death? Somebody loves them to death. Maybe we're thinking, you know, we get it. We're commanded to consistently communicate God's grace. It's our calling, Hebrews. uh, It's our calling. God's grace to those friends and family members who need to hear it. Last week we talked about how there's grace for you. But where do we start, right? Where do we start? How do we begin? How in the world do we pay that grace forward? Where a better, what a better question to perhaps ask this morning, my friends, is, Where did Jesus start? What did he do? Remember, when Jesus looked out at those people that were surrounding him, the ones we mentioned earlier, the ones he knew, the ones that he as God incarnate wanted to know better, what did he do? Look at Matthew 9.36 with me. Matthew 9.36. Bible says when he, Jesus 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. As one author points out, Jesus loved those people and Jesus loved to pray. Where does Jesus start? Jesus loves his people and Jesus prays for his people even before Jesus goes into action to send for his people. Do you love your people? Do you love your friends, your family members? Be honest. Do you truly want the best for them self-sacrificially? Or do you just see these people in your life at best as a diversion to your routine? Maybe at worst, a means of competition. Some of us can have dysfunctional relationships like that easily. Do you love your friends and family members enough to pray fervently for their souls? To love them, to pray for them. There's a holy way to begin to be able to say, Lord, I believe you have grace for me. Will you work through me so that none of them fail to obtain grace from you if it be your will? Will you love these people? Will you pray for these people? And then will you get close to these people and be consistent with these people? Whether it's on the phone at get-togethers in the coffee shop or reunions or in the workplace, in each conversation you have. You know, don't worry about how perfectly your witness is or if you feel like you aren't getting anywhere. This isn't Webster definition number one. You don't have to be Jackie Onassis. That's good. As people of grace, are we going to slip up and say the wrong thing sometimes? Yeah. Just the other day, um, they're going to start ducking down a little bit. I think I have permission on this one. I'm trying to get better about that. Just the other day, uh, Becky and I asked the kids to go downstairs and, and clean the basement. I'm already getting that look from my daughter. The only reason cleaning the basement can be a tough job is if the kid's been playing in the basement, right? See what I did there? So three minutes pass after they disappear, and one of them comes running upstairs to tell me that, that another one of the kids, they weren't helping. They weren't helping. They were just uh, ripping up pieces of paper on the floor into smaller pieces of paper and throwing the pieces back on the floor. Now, I'd like to think I'm a fairly level-headed individual, and besides, I'm a minister, so this means the conversations I have with my kids are always seasoned with grace, no matter what, right? <laughs> yeah, wrong. At this point in the exchange, this is kind of a confession time for me. This point in the exchange, I actually found myself turning to my child, opening my mouth and saying these words. Well, what exactly do you want me to do about it? She just shrugged her shoulders and walked away. <laughs> I figured that was a pretty good response to her. Dumb old dad at that moment. It was at that exact moment I realized that not only had I failed to show grace, but also that the Parent of the Year Award was going to be well out of my grasp. <laughs> 
At this point, I'm going to step forward and let my wife come and share a few more. No. We'll be here all day. There's that sermon Paul preached all night. You know, it was the wife that came forward. No. That, that, don't forget that. I praise God that his grace is at work in spite of me. <laughs> As I was finishing up my message this week, the Lord allowed me to see an interesting Facebook post. No, it wasn't one of those hit share and you'll be blessed by a million dollars. I gave up on those. I hope you have too. But this post was from a relative of mine who, who had some exciting news. Again, as someone has said, and I love this, you know, it was the goodest news I could have heard. He had decided to return to Jesus after several years living without him. The person's exact words were, quote, I feel as though a weight has again been lifted. It was like God has been standing there waiting for me to come back to him. Now, just a few weeks prior, the same individual posted an opposite sentiment. He was tired of living. In fact, he was ready to find the tallest, most bitter bottle of poison and climb inside. Talk about the root of bitterness, right? And I reached out to this individual, uh, new as a believer from an earlier time in my life, to let him know that, quote, you know, he, he was loved and, and I was praying for him. I never heard back from the person, personally, and I was a little bothered by that, but I kept him in my prayers, kept him in my prayers. This week's return post from this person actually included the following words. Quote, since my last post and you prayer warriors stood up, I've been seeing God work in ways I just didn't see coming. I find myself excited for church again, something I didn't think would be possible. Brothers and sisters, I, I was having a, a doozy of a week this week with some trips to Lansing for Bella and a little bit of my own health causing me grief. But when I read this person's post, I couldn't help shed just a few more tears. Tears of joy. Tears of joy. Because it's not a coincidence that this person's Facebook update about returning again to the faith of his youth, to crying out to God for help, just happened to come at me during sermon prep time this week. You know what it is instead? An expertly planned Facebook algorithm? Nah, it's grace. That's grace. That's grace. After knowing where he was coming from previously, I'd been tempted to give up on him. But you know who hadn't? Jesus. Jesus hadn't given up on him. And so are you a person who is experiencing that this morning? And I know a few of you are. Who is experiencing that which is offered in Jesus Christ alone. Brother, sister, I urge you to keep wanting, keep holding on to, keep saying, keep extending the grace of God. Don't give up on how God might be working in and around you. See to it that no one fails to obtain it as well because grace is for you and it's for your friends and your family too. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we... We come to you this morning and we thank you for the free gift. The free gift 
offered to us at the cross. We did nothing to obtain it. All we did was cause the need for it. But we praise you, God, that you're patient with us, that you can use us to extend that free gift. In all of it, Lord, it's you that does the work. In all of it, Lord, it's you that does the saving. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we have the courage as people of grace, as your people, to pay it forward, to take it to the rest of the world. Lord, we know your word says that it be your will that all would come to repentance. That the only thing holding people back is accepting that gift. Help us, Lord, to get out of the way so that you can work through us. So that others may be drawn to you, drawn to your amazing grace. Lord, help us to remember when we fail, when we fail to act, respond the way we should, that you're patient with us too. You love us so much. You've invited us for eternity to be with you. But help us also, Lord, to be convicted of the reality that our time is running out to pass on what you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to spread the word and to live it before others. We thank you for your amazing grace. And it is in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. Praise God for his grace. Amen. My friends, what I don't want you to miss from all of this is our response. What's been done for us is amazing. It's infinite. We can do nothing to bring it on ourselves. But we can't forget, we have a response. We have our part too. And so we invite you this morning, if you haven't accepted this free gift of grace, to come forward, to go into the waters of baptism, to come up a new creation in him to rededicate yourself today if that's how the spirit is leading you wherever you are with the Lord he knows I don't know but you know and he knows and if he's calling you to respond in a certain way this morning we invite you to come forward we're going to stand and sing about a love we imitate in our relationships we do the best we can and sometimes we fail but the best part is he has a love that goes through till the end. And we know that that love defends us. Would you stand as we sing our invitation song and Brother Gerald comes forward to receive his love defense.